following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. And I got to tell you, you know, I'm a full-time evangelist. That's all I do. I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist, and I travel all over this country. And, and uh, you know, most of my messages are just simple very direct salvation messages. That's that's what I do ninety percent of the time. That's that's my heart. I'm an evangelist, and uh, so this has really stretched me. Amen. This has stretched me. I, these these messages I've been bringing this week are much 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 more detailed than what I normally do and uh, such. But that's been good. That's been good. It's caused me to have to do a lot of study and a lot of praying, and so that's always good to draw closer. Uh, to the Lord. And as I've mentioned every night, I'm not an expert on Bible prophecy, don't claim to be, but I am a student of Bible prophecy and have been for over 30 years. And I study those who are experts and, uh, and I'm constantly reading and constantly researching to try to stay up to date on things. I've always loved the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and uh, they just get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter, uh, the more I study them. Amen. Well, how many of you brought your Bibles tonight? How, how many have your Bibles? How many red Bibles do we have in the house? Red with red covers. I think all Bibles ought to be red. Some of you didn't get it. They'll get it about midnight tonight when you're laying there. Amen. All Bibles need to be read, but you'll, you get that later anyway. But I'm glad you got your Bible. So take your Bible or your copy of God's Word tonight, if you will, and turn to the book of the Revelation. It's not Revelations. I don't know why people call it that. I hear it all the time. Oh, I love the book of Revelations. There's just one problem. That book doesn't exist. It's not in the Bible. But the book of Revelation, singular, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So turn to chapter 13 and go ahead and be finding the book of Daniel chapter 7 also because uh, we'll have to turn over there in just a little while. Go ahead and find that and have it in place. Revelation, the 13th chapter, and find Daniel. And I'm going to read just a few verses from Revelation 13 to launch us into this message, all right? I want to invite you, if you would, please, to stand with us out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. And beginning with verse 1, it says, And I stood up on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and, his, and, and up on his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, that's the devil himself, gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you, and we just praise and glorify your holy name tonight. Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, we know that it is sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. Lord, we also know that your word never returns void, but it will accomplish what you send it forth to do. And so, Father, tonight we've prayed for this service. We've saturated this service in ourselves with prayer. And Father, I pray for anyone, particularly in this building tonight, that's never been saved. They've never been born again. They may be a good person. They may be a religious person. But the truth is, goodness and religion won't get anybody to heaven. 
Lord, they've never received Christ. They don't have a relationship with you. And, Father, if that be the case tonight, I pray for the Spirit of God to show them that. I pray for the Spirit of God to convict them, to draw them. And I pray tonight when that invitation is given, Father, that they'll immediately want to come and respond by placing their faith and trust in Jesus. So, Lord, we pray tonight you'd save every lost person in this building. Father, I pray for every Christian that will examine our walk and our life and that, Father, we'll draw closer to you and you'll give us greater compassion for those without Christ, that you'll give us greater love for you and that, Father, you might use us in a great way to make a difference in this world. So, Father, speak to hearts tonight. Draw us close to you. Lord, you didn't give us prophecy just to give us information. You gave us prophecy to draw us closer to Jesus, to point us to Jesus because that's what it's ultimately about. So, Father, do that tonight and we'll give you the praise and glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've said this over and over this week, but I believe the next prophetic event on the calendar will be the rapture of the church. The rapture is that time when Christ comes in the air to get his church or his bride which consists of all blood-washed, born-again believers. And the Bible tells us that when he comes in the air to get his church, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead in Christ, and also there's going to be a translation of the living, all who are living on the earth at that time, who are saved, who are born again. We're going to be called up. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be translated and meet the Lord in the air where we'll all receive glorified, resurrected bodies. Well, immediately after the church is removed, it's going to begin a time period up on the earth, which the Bible calls the tribulation. It's going to be a seven-year period in which the nations of the world will be united under a one-world global government and global economy. The events of the tribulation are all recorded for us in detail, beginning with Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 all the way through the end of Revelation chapter 19. All of those things are yet future and they are literal and they are going to happen. It's going to be a time of God's wrath being poured out on a Christ rejecting earth. Now, many significant things are going to transpire during that time. A new world leader will appear on the scene who will head up a confederacy of nations which will control the world called the Antichrist, the man of sin the son of perdition, the little horn of Daniel, the rider of the white horse in Revelation chapter 6, the beast of Revelation chapter 13. And he will be evil, and he will do evil. He will be Satan's right-hand man, and he will be the dominant figure of that day and time. So tonight, I want us to think on this subject this evening, who is the Antichrist? Who is the Antichrist. Well, I want you to notice several things about him tonight, all right? First of all, let's consider his portrait, the portrait of 
the Antichrist. In the first couple of verses of Revelation chapter 13, John portrays to his leaders that the Antichrist will be like a beast. He looks like a beast rising up out of the sea, which the sea would have been the Mediterranean, meaning the seas of people, usually referring to the Gentile nations, all right? And so he would most likely come out of the Gentile nations, and he's connected to the dragon, and he's portrayed as a beast. So look at those verses again in verse 1. I stood up on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, very significant, and ten horns, and up his horns, and ten crowns, and up on his heads, the name of blasphemy, all right? So you need to remember that. John says, hey, I saw this beast rising up out of the sea, and he said he's got seven heads, he has ten horns, and ten crowns. And this is simply a reference to nations and kingdoms which will align together in the future under his leadership, under his rulership. Many believe that there'll be a ten-nation confederacy, which nations of the world will be assigned to a region, to an area, and divided up into ten areas that the Antichrist will rule over. And it talks here uh, in that verse there about the dragon. I've already pointed out the dragon is the devil, Satan himself. This is the force that's going to empower the beast. But notice uh, these kingdoms here. Look, look at verse 2. It says, And the beast which I saw, now look what it says, was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, or the devil, gave him his power and his seat with great authority. Now, mark your place there in Revelation 13, because we need to come right back to it, and turn over to Daniel, the seventh chapter. Daniel, the seventh chapter here. And what we're seeing here, these kingdoms here, uh, Daniel at one time had a vision of future world kingdoms that would dominate the world. And, and those were all future to Daniel, all right? We look back on them. They're all past to us except for the last one that we're going to look at here tonight. But look at Daniel chapter 7, and, well, we'll begin reading about verse 3. It says, And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from the other. The first was like a lion. Does that sound familiar? And had eagle's wings, and I beheld till the uh, the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand up on feet as a man, and the man's heart was given to him. Now look at verse 5. And behold, I saw another beast. Now remember, Daniel was seeing this vision in his day and time. I saw another beast, a second like unto a bear, and it raised up itself on one side and had three ribs in the mouth. And between the teeth of it, they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this, I beheld, lo, another like a leopard. In other words, something very swift, very quick, which had up on the back of it four wings of a fowl. And the beast also had four heads. And dominion, or power, or control, was given unto it. And after this, I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast. This is the one we want to talk about. Dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured in broken pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. 
horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them a little horn, and this is talking about the Antichrist, by the way, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So Daniel has this vision of these world kingdoms that are going to come in the future. As I mentioned, they're already past to us. Most of three of them are. And who were those kingdoms anyway? Well, the first kingdom, he described it like a lion. Well, that was talking about the Babylonian empire. The Babylonian empire at one time controlled the world. Amen? And that, that's who he's uh, speaking about here. Well, a little bit later on, what happened? Another empire came along, and it destroyed the Babylonian empire, and he describes it as a bear. It defeated, it conquered Babylon, and that was the Medo-Persian Empire. Later on, another empire came on the scene that defeated the bear, defeated the Medo-Persian Empire, and he describes it as a leopard, all right, and uh, which is Greece, by the way, who defeated Persia, and that was led by Alexander the Great, who conquered most of the known world at that time. And then finally, Daniel sees one more kingdom that appears, and this one is yet future. All of them were future to Daniel. Again, they're all past to us except for this one. And this fourth one that, he, that he's talking about here comes from the ancient mighty military machine of Rome, which conquered the Grecian Empire originally. Amen? But you see, this is the ancient Roman Empire that, that, that the world leader is going to emerge from in the future called Antichrist. Amen? And friends, this man is, is, is like all the world leaders of those empires put together. Like all of them put, he's, I mean, they can't even compare to him. And he comes on the scene unlike any world leader ever in the history of the world. Amen? And I mentioned earlier in the week, there's already a group of, uh, of elite globalists throughout the world who've already divided the nations of the world in the ten regions that they believe it needs to, uh, that it needs to be in. Well, the Bible talked about that long before they ever thought of that. Amen? And one day it's going to happen. And who's going to rule this? Well, it's going to be like the old Roman Empire. And by the way, nobody ever conquered the Roman Empire. Nope, nobody ever conquered the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire fell from within. Amen? It fell from within. They were never conquered by another kingdom or other nations. They fell from within. Well, in the future, this, this, this old, this old Roman Empire is going to be revived like that old Roman Empire. And this guy is going to come up out of that empire and he's going to rule the world. He's called the Antichrist. All right. And so the second thing I want you to notice, not only his portrait, but now let's notice his power. The power of the Antichrist. Now, we've already looked at verse 2, but look again. It says at the last part of it, And the dragon, the devil, gave him his power and his seat and his authority. So where does, it, where does his authority and power come from? It comes from the devil. Amen? Look over at Revelation 12, verse 9. Just back up a page or two. And look in your Bible. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. 
and he was cast to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. Amen? Well, friends, he gets all of his power and all of his authority from the devil. And the goal is to put all the nations of the world under his leadership, under his power, and under his plan. Satan's always wanted that. Amen? And, and Satan energizes Antichrist. Now, where does all evil come from? Think about it. Where does all evil come from? Somebody said Washington, D.C. Well, <laughs> uh, where does all evil come from? It comes from the devil. All of it. Amen? It all comes from the devil. Wars, terrorism, on and on we could go. Friends, all this junk about neutral gender and all that, I, I want to tell you where it comes from. It comes from the devil. Amen? That's what, that, that's what it's all about. And Satan is going to give the Antichrist the kingdoms of the world for one reason. Why? For evil. For evil. And see, he's just a fake Christ. Amen? That's why it means Antichrist. It, it's opposite of Christ. He's Antichrist. And it also means to be against Christ. He's against Christ 200%. So we see his power. Then thirdly, I want us to notice his plan. His plan. Now, this is where it really gets interesting, okay? Pick up at verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it were wound to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered, some translations say marveled, after the beast. Now, who's the beast? The Antichrist. And so what did they do as they marveled at the beast? Look at verse 4. They worshipped who? The dragon, the devil. Oh, that pleases him. And gave him power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who's able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. See that? Whose names are not written in the book of life. Now there's a lot of stuff in these verses and we'll look at them uh, as we move on in this message here. But the plan of the Antichrist, first of all, you notice there's a death and a resurrection. A death and a resurrection. In verse 3, many Bible scholars, most Bible scholars, believe that this could be referring to an assassination of the Antichrist, of the beast. And it'll be a mock death and a mock resurrection. Remember, he, 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 he wants people to think he's Christ. Amen? Remember back with Moses when you go back and and Moses went to the Pharaoh and remember he brought all his guys in and and uh, Moses would perform a miracle then they would try they would duplicate it, Amen. You know Satan can do miracles, Amen. All he can do is duplicate th- things because he's a fake, he's a fo- phony, Amen. But he did miracles and many believe it'll be a mock death and resurrection. And remember the beast is possessed by Satan. And it's Satan that may enable him uh, to do a counterfeit resurrection from the dead. And remember, he is the counterfeit Christ. Now, hang on there. Go over to Revelation 17 for just a moment. Revelation 17 and verse 8. And the beast that thou saw, that, that saweth was and is not. 
Now that's referring to death and, and back to life. Was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition that they that dwell on the earth uh, shall wonder or marvel whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world when they beheld the beast that was, is, and not, and yet is. All right? So a death and resurrection. Secondly, worldwide worship of the beast. We see that in verses 3 through 8, worldwide worship. What that to worship the beast, friends, is to worship the devil. Amen? It's to worship the devil. we got a lot of devil worship going on today in America. They may not call it that, but that's what it is. Amen? And it's always been the goal of Satan to get the world to worship him. That's why he was kicked out of heaven to start with, remember? He hadn't always been the devil. He was Lucifer, the archangel, the highest angel there was in heaven, and he rebelled against God. He wanted God's seat. He wanted God's authority. He wanted the people to worship him, and he kicked him out of heaven, and one-third of the angels came with him, and they are demons, amen? And they came to this earth, and he wants people to worship him, and he's full of blasphemy. And notice how the world's going to react to the Antichrist. Look, look at verse 3 again. Look I, look at this. And it says, And I saw one of his heads as if it was wound to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled or wondered at the beast. Most of you are old enough to remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I was just a little kid and I don't know, maybe five years old or something like that. But I remember, I remember that's all that was on TV for days. And I remember that, that funeral and everything. And you know, Lee Harvey Oswell shot him. He was up in that building in Dallas and shot him. And you know, they shot him right in the head. And they said that Kennedy was dead when they got him to the hospital. And you know, if he would have, if he would have come back to life, the world would have marveled. Amen. Well, there's coming a time when the world's going to marvel over an individual as they look at the Antichrist. And so what's going to happen, man, it's going to be easy for the world to unite under him. They're going to say, man, look at this guy. I mean, uh, they're, they're going to think this. Hey, the Messiah, the promised Messiah has finally come. And by the way, he has already come 2,000 years ago. His name's Jesus. Amen. And they're going to say the Messiah has finally come. And everyone's going to be deceived. Those who won't be deceived will be those who won't follow him and won't take the mark. And they'll be persecuted uh, greatly. Amen? And so when he rises to power, friends, it's going to look to the world like he's ushering in a time of peace. I mean, think of, he is going to overnight solve the Mideast crisis. Nobody's ever been able to do that. And by the way, nobody ever will until he comes on the scene. Our president sure isn't going to do it. All the others before him have tried, and they didn't accomplish it either, and nobody, I mean nobody will. Amen? But he's going to do it. He's going to rise on the scene, and man, I mean practically overnight. He's going to solve the Mideast crisis between the Arabs and the Jews. He's going to solve the economic crisis because the world will be in chaos and collapse. 
He's going uh, to solve the terrorism problem. There, he's going to form a one-world global government, a one-world global economy. There's going to be a global false religion. He'll sign that peace treaty between the Jews and Arabs. All of that's going to take place. That's going to allow them to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount uh, in, in, in Jerusalem. And it's going to seem like peace has finally come to the whole earth. But it's really going to be a nightmare. It's going to be a nightmare. Amen? He says over there in verses 4 and uh, four and 5, it, it, it says, Who is like on the beast and who is able to make war with him? And in verse 5 said, And there was given on him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemings and power was given him to continue for 42 months. You know, the tribulation's seven years long. And he's going to appear at the very beginning of it. The church will be removed before the tribulation ever happens. Amen? And he's going to appear. And the first three and a half years is going to look like a time of peace as he's getting things set up and putting things in place and the temple's going up. But in the last half of it, friends, it's going to be terror. It's going to be misery. It's going to be persecution. There's going to be massive death as the Antichrist takes control of the world. Amen. And then the next thing I want to call your attention is the pride of the Antichrist. You think the Antichrist would be a prideful man? What what got Satan kicked out of heaven? Pride. You know, pride's a terrible sin. It's still terrible sin. Amen. You know why some people won't get saved? They hear the gospel over and over and over. They hear the truth. They know they need to get saved. They are so full of pride, they will not humble themselves before God, admit that they're lost, admit that they're a sinner, admit that they're going to hell, admit that they need a Savior, and they'll go to hell full of pride. They might, they might be religious. Hey, there are going to be more religious people in hell. Amen? Religion's keeping more people out of heaven than anything I can think of. It really is. And man, we got a lot of churches that aren't churches. They're nothing but religious country clubs. Can I get a witness in the house? They're all called up in rituals and routine. That's not what it's about. Friend, Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. Amen? It's about being born again. Well, we see his pride there in, in uh, Revelation 13, 5. But, but, Hang on to that and, and turn over to Second Second Thessalonians. I'll get it here in a minute. Chapter two. This is a verse I was having trouble with the other night. Second Thessalonians chapter two. I'll get the chapter right this time, Brother Tory. Second uh, Thessalonians two, and look at verse three and four. He says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come except there be a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed." Who's the man of sin? The Antichrist, the Antichrist, the son of perdition. Now, look at verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or that's worshipped so that he be as God and sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That's just pure blasphemy. Amen? That's because of his pride. That's what he desires. He'll come on the scene. He'll present himself as Jesus. And many are going to fall for it. But he is a counterfeit. And you think about it. Here's a guy who brings in global peace, gets the temple built. Oh, I mean, things that nobody's ever been. People are going to say, man, let's get in line to follow this dude. Amen. I mean, what what a great guy. Look what he's doing uh, uh, for our world. 
But friends, he's come to de- he's come to to deify Satan. Amen. And the devil gets all he's always wanted. He gets all that worship. And then fifthly, I want you to notice the period of the Antichrist. We already looked at verse 5 where it says 40 and 2 months. Again, he's going to come on the scene immediately when the tribulation begins. And that's very clear in Scripture, by the way. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, it's very clear. Uh, and, and, and as I've already mentioned, and then in the middle of the, the first part of the tribulation is called the tribulation. The last half of the tribulation is called the great tribulation. Why? Because that's when things intensify, and that's things when things get really, really bad. Now, hang on to your uh, 13 there, because we'll need to come right back to it. Look over at chapter 11 for a moment, if you would. Revelation chapter 11, and... Uh, Look at verse uh, verse 2 and 3. And it says, uh, But the court which was without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it's given unto the Gentiles in the holy city. What's the holy city? Jerusalem. And they shall tread underfoot, how long? Forty-two months. Three and a half years. Look at chapter 12 and verse 6. And when the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score Days Again, talking about 42 months, three and a half years. Look at verse 14 in the same chapter. And to the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into a place where she'll be nourished for a time, time and a half. That's talking about three and a half years from the face of the serpent. So we see the time period of the Antichrist. But then I want you to notice the persecution by the Antichrist. The persecution by the Antichrist, verses 7 through 10. Look what it says. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. You say, well, preacher, I thought you said all the Christians are going to be raptured out for the tribulation. I did say that, and and I'm sticking to it. Amen? I believe that with all my heart. I take a literal approach to the Bible, a literal approach to Revelation and the end-time events, and I'm telling you, the rapture happens before the tribulation. Amen? And those who are saved are going to go in the rapture. There are going to be multitudes, I believe billions of people left behind. Amen? Billions of people left behind. And now most of them are just going to follow the Antichrist and fall right in with his scheme, but there are going to be some who are going to refuse. There are going to be some who are going to refuse and, and say, man, I'm, I'm not going to follow this guy. I'm not going to take his mark, which we'll talk about in a moment. And, and, and there's many that will be saved during the tribulation, those who've never heard the gospel. I'll tell you what I believe, and i got Scripture to support it, Second Thessalonians 2, those who hear the gospel on this earth and reject it, and reject it, and the rapture comes, they're going to miss the rapture, they won't be able to get saved during the tribulation. be impossible. Because God says they'll send them a strong delusion that they'll believe a lie and be damned. So who's going to be saved during the tribulation? People who've never heard the gospel before. You say everybody's heard the gospel. you got people living next door to you that have never heard the gospel. No, they haven't all heard the gospel. And most churches aren't preaching the real gospel. Amen? And there's people all over the world who've never heard the gospel. And, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached during the tribulation. There'll be many saved, many Gentiles. There'll be many Jews saved who will finally turn to Christ and embrace him as their Messiah during the tribulation period. Amen? And so we see 
his persecution there. Let's read on here. Let's look what it says. And it says in verse 6, he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God. The blaspheme his name and tabernacle. And them that dwell in heaven has given him to make war with the saints and, and, and to overcome them. And power was given him over kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell on the earth will worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So here it is. In the middle of the seven years, he's going to break his peace treaty. Remember, he signed the peace treaty. Brought peace to the world the Arabs and the Jews, and solve all this trouble going on in the Mideast. Amen? But halfway through it, he's going to break his promise. He's going to break his treaty. The Bible tells us that he's going to go into the temple. He's going to go into the Holy of Holies, the newly built temple in Jerusalem, and he's going to declare that he is God, and he's going to demand that the whole world worship him, and he's going to declare war on the Jews. Dr. Paige Patterson said that most of the Jewish race will be annihilated during the tribulation. He's going to make Hitler look like a choir boy but there's still going to be a mighty remnant that will turn to Christ and be saved. Amen? A mighty remnant, but many are going to be martyred. It's it's going to be terrible. It's going to be a bloodbath during the tribulation. Most people won't survive, but a remnant will. And Jesus warned us about this over in Matthew 24. I'm not going to turn there. Uh, uh, verses 15 through 22, Jesus talked about when you see the man standing in the holy place, speaking of the Antichrist, uh, he says, man, he said, what? He, he said, don't, don't go back to your house to get your cloak. He said, you know, he, he said, you, uh, basically, you better run for your life. And he, he says, when you see him in the holy place, talking about the Antichrist. And, and Jesus just quoting what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 9, and that's called the abomination of desolation or the abomination that causes desolation. And you say, well, preacher, that all sounds good, but how, I mean, how's the whole world going to be able to see him? That ought not be an issue with us in the 21st century. Huh? Any of you watched TV lately and seen them bombing over there in the Mideast? What's going on? Man, that's not an issue today. This stuff couldn't have happened 100 years ago. It couldn't have happened 100 years ago. And things have come more together in the last two or three years than they have in the last 50 years. Amen? I'm telling you, friends, time must be getting close. And so we've got Internet. We've got satellite television. Uh, it talks about how they're going to set up a, a an image of the beast. We'll look at that here in a minute. An image of the beast that's going to speak, and he's going to demand that people bow down and worship that image. I believe that's going to be AI, artificial intelligence, that they're going to use with that beast. And I've mentioned this already this week. People who are dabbling with that kind of stuff and letting those objects speak to you, you better get out of it because those are demons speaking to you. Amen? They're demons from hell. And that's what it is. So we see the persecution by the Antichrist. But next, I want you to know this, the Antichrist's prophet. His prophet. You say, what do you mean? Oh, he's got an assistant. He's got a right-hand man. And, you know, the Antichrist is more of a political leader. The false prophet, who's this guy we're going to look at now, is more of a religious leader. 
All right. Now, for years, the teaching, you, <laughs> and uh, for those of you who got a Catholic background, uh, you're not going to like this, but for years, the teaching was that the, either the Antichrist or the false prophet would be the Pope. Amen? I don't really think that's, that's the case, but I'm going to tell you, that Pope that they have now, he doesn't believe nothing. Amen? He doesn't believe nothing in the Bible at all. And if the Catholic Church really believes the Bible, which they can't, and believe what they believe, they ought to toss him out. Amen? He doesn't believe nothing. But for years, that was the traditional teaching. He'd be the Antichrist or he'd be the false prophet. Most believe the false prophet. I, I, I don't think that's the case. But he is going to use a religious system that's in place that dominates the world in order to accomplish some things, all right? So pick up here and look what he says. Look at uh, verse 11. He says, And I beheld another beast come now there. Here, here we go. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now look at verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship who? The first beast. The Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. There it is again, in case you're doubting that. In verse 13, and he that doeth great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth inside of all men. He's going to perform, he's going to perform miracles. His miracles, though, will be fueled by Satan, not by God. Amen. And then look at verse 14, and he deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. That's what I was speaking about a moment ago. Who had the wound by the sore and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. Well, I believe that's AI will be used for that, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what? Killed. Martyred. Man, you don't want to miss the rapture. You don't want to be here during the tribulation period. Amen? And so here he is. John John looks. He's. I mean, man, he's overwhelmed by seeing the beast. And he looks, and now he sees another, another one coming up. This one's not coming out of the sea, pictured as coming out of the sea. This one's pictured as coming out of the earth. The earth just about always refers to the land of Israel. And most believe that the false prophet will maybe be of Jewish origin or certainly have some Jewish blood in him. And remember, he's a religious leader. Well, the Antichrist is a political leader. This is the false prophet. He's the Antichrist's right-hand man. He's his sidekick. And you add, you think about this. You take the Antichrist, you take the false prophet, you take the devil. All three, you got the unholy trinity. Amen? The unholy trinity. Pure evil and wicked. Nothing good about it at all. Amen? And most likely the leader of the one world false religion that will dominate the world during the tribulation. You say, what do you think that religion will be? Well, we don't know. The Bible uh, doesn't tell us, but there's uh, some pretty good speculation by that, that people whom I would trust, and they believe it's just going to be uh, spiritualism. I mean, anything goes. You believe whatever you want to believe. All paths lead to God. I mean, if you want to worship a tree, worship a tree. You want to worship a rock, worship a rock. You want to worship yourself, which that sounds like America today. 
worship yourself. Amen? Just spiritualism. Doesn't matter what you believe. They don't care. They're not going to, it's going to be a mixture of all kind of stuff, I believe, is what the false religion will be. Somebody said, well, it'd probably be the religion of Islam since they're trying to conquer the world and dominate the world. Well, it'd probably be a mixture of that. Amen? Anything but Jesus. Anything but the Bible. Amen? Anything but the Bible. The Word of God. And it'll just be a bunch of junk that's mixed up together. And friends, we see, we see all that happening right now. It is so, but you can imagine, I mean, multiply that thousands and thousands during the tribulation period on how bad it's going to be. But you go out and ask your average American, hey, uh, do you think you go to heaven when you, oh, of course, I, everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Jesus said most people are not going to heaven. Where does it say it, preacher? I'm glad you asked me. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. That's talking about hell. And he said, many go therein. And he said, narrow is the way that leads to life. That's talking about heaven. And Jesus said, only a few find it. A few. He didn't say most. He said, only a few. He didn't say most people are going to heaven because most people aren't going to heaven. Most people are going to hell. That's what Jesus said. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me or through me. He didn't say I'm a way to heaven. He didn't say I'm one of many ways to heaven. He didn't even say I'm the best way to heaven. He said I am the way. Amen? And there aren't two, three, four, five ways to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. Well, I'll tell you what I believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. All that matters is what the Bible says. I get my authority from the Word of God. Amen? And that's all that matters. You've got to come to Christ. You've got to come to the cross. You've got to, you, you've got to have your sins covered through his blood. And, friend, believe in all this spiritual junk that's out there. And that's what it is, is junk will do nothing but lead you to hell. Amen? You know, Jesus talked about, well, Matthew 24, verse 12. I'm going to read to you real quickly what he said. In Matthew 24, in verse 12, he said, because iniquity, he, he said, iniquity shall abound. Talking about sin abounding, of course. And the love of many will wax cold. Hey, doesn't that sound like the day we're living in? And over in, in, uh, in the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, listen to this, chapter 4 and verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The Spirit speaks expressedly that in the latter times, or the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heeds to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons or devils. You see that? I've been a lot of people, a lot of celebrities lately, sports figures and everything else that claim to be Christians and now they've said, Well, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm living I'm leaving the Christian faith. Well, you know, and, and uh, the problem is they were never saved to start with. Amen. They're like most people in America, they were religious, but they were lost. One heartbeat away from hell. Amen. 
Jesus talked about that growth in, in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, talking about the final judgment day. He said, many in that day will say to me, Lord, have we not cast out demons in thy name? Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? They're saying, they're going to be saying, Lord, look at all the things we did for you, and we did it in your name. And then he's going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you, ye workers of iniquity. He's speaking to religious people there. Hey, you don't have to be in church to be religious. We got a lot of religious people out there. Amen. Billy Graham made the statement in 1982. He believed 70% of church members in America are lost. 70%. I'd love to hear what he'd say today because it'd be higher than that. Amen. What? What's the deal? Good people? Yeah, good people. Read the Bible. Just lost. May be religious. They know about Christ, but they don't know Christ personally. Don't have a relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with him? Have you been born again? I haven't been born again, preacher. Then you're not a Christian. You're not saved. Your sins have not been forgiven. You're not on your way to heaven. You don't belong to God. You're not one of his children, and God's not your heavenly father. Amen? He's not. Not until you come to know Christ. Well, look what he says here the prophet of the Antichrist. It says he has horns like a lamb. (laughs) He's a deceiver also, but he speaks like a dragon. And he's going to use his authority, his power, his influence, everything he has to persuade people to follow Antichrist. And he's going to be very successful at it. And uh, I'll tell you what I believe. I cannot prove this, so... I'm just telling you what I what I believe about it. But I, I believe that the Antichrist and the false prophet are alive and well on planet Earth right now. I believe that. I really do. You say, who are they? I don't have a clue who they are. And neither is anyone else, by the way. Amen? I don't care if they're on TV seven days a week. They don't know. Amen? They don't know. And that's, that's kind of the idea behind my title, this message, who's the Antichrist. We're going to see that we don't know who the Antichrist is. But we're going to know about him. Amen? Well, look at the final thing. Look, look what the false prophet does. All right, skip down, if you will, in that chapter. And look what he says. We talked about him giving power to the image of the beast. So that tells you it's controlled by Satan. But look at verse 16. And he calls us all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell unless he has that mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast for the number of a man. His number is 666. This is the mark of the beast. Amen? I had a preacher friend of mine tell me the other day, he walked into a store and, and they had, he was reading the sign there of all the different credit cards they take and everything, MasterCard and Visa and American Express. And he asked a lady, he said, hey, do you take the mark of the beast? And she said, do what? Well, someday that's all they're going to take. Someday that's all they're going to take. Because when the Antichrist comes to power and we have a one-world global government, they're going to do away with all currency. You don't have American money and this and that. It ain't going to be any of that stuff. It's all going to be done away with. That's how you unite the world. 
And in order to be able to buy anything, such as groceries, such as medicine, having health care, provide for your family, you only got one choice. You're going to have to take the mark. Amen? And it's the mark of the beast. And once you take that mark, you've signed a contract in hell. And, friend, people will get in line by the thousands over to take that mark just like they did with COVID. Amen? And they'll line up. Oh, we've got to do what the government says. And they'll get in line to do it. Because they fear government more than they do God. Amen? You say, what's this mark going to be? Well, it's a mark of identification. Now, I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. It says a mark. It just says a mark. And I don't want to try to read something in there that's not there. But many scholars believe that it would just be a, a small computer chip that fits on the end of a needle that small that will be inserted under your skin, and it will have all of your information on it. And just scan that. We're almost there now. Amen? We're almost in some places won't even take cash anymore. Did you know that? Some won't. And, uh, and it'll be something that it may be some other way. But it's going to be a mark. And, and it's really, although you won't be able to buy or sell or anything without it, it's really about tracking you. It's about identification. This has already been developed, that chip, by the way. And, uh, and, and people have implanted it in animals and stuff. And it's already been developed. And, and there, I want to give you a few things about this mark. And we're getting close to being done, I promise you. It's a mark of identification. It's identification. Secondly, it's a mark of importance. Can't buy, sell, right? Pretty important mark, wouldn't you say? It's a mark of incrimination. That's the mark of the beast. You've sold your soul to him, to the devil. And it's an irreversible mark. Look over at Revelation chapter 16 and, uh, and verse 2. Revelation 16 verse 2. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome, grievous sore upon the men which had what? The mark of the beast. And upon them which worshipped his image. Look over at Revelation chapter 20 for a moment. Revelation 20, and uh, look at verse 4. It says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had, you ought to underline this in your Bible, folks, not worship the beast, nor his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, the millennial kingdom. Hallelujah. That's a good place to shout. Amen? So, see, you don't want to take that. Mark, how, how, let me ask you this before I get to my last point here. My last point is a good one, by the way. We're going to end on a positive note. How would you like to live in a world like that? You miss the rapture, you will. You will. What I got to do, miss the rapture, preacher? Refuse to give your life to Christ. If you're not saved, you're not. I don't care if you're the best person in town. If you're not saved, you're going to miss the rapture. Amen. You'll be left behind upon this earth. We'll deal with that more tomorrow night, uh, I believe. All right, and here's my final point. You say you had a lot of points. Yes, I did. A lot of them to try to get. But we moved through the entire chapter tonight. 
the punishment of the Antichrist. Boy, I like that part. Don't you? Hey, can, can, I want to go on the record saying this. I hate the devil. And so should you. When I was pastor in my first church, back when I was a pastor, a little old lady come up to me. I don't remember even what I was preaching. She said, well, you know, we ought to pray for the devil and pray for him to get saved. I said, what? I'm not going to pray for him. Amen? In fact, when I'm in my prayer time in the morning, I talk to him and I say, Satan, one of these days you're going to be cast into hell and I'm just going to smile about it. Amen? He deserves it. And he's going, whether he wants to or not. Amen? And so the punishment of the Antichrist, and, and by the way, the beast uh, also. Look at Revelation 20. Are you still over there? Revelation 20. And look at this. Verse, uh, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, and brimstone, that's, that's, that's hell. That's the eternal hell, the lake of fire, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever. Now, how about that? The devil, first he's going to be thrown in a bottomless pit during the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and then he'll be led out, and he's going to, he's going to lead another revolt against Christ from people who were born during the millennial kingdom, and he's going to lead another revolt against him that says it's going to be a short time. And then Jesus is going to grab him, and he's going to cast him into hell. The beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet are going with him. I told you this is where it gets good. You see, friend, I want to say this. Everything I've preached tonight has been doom and gloom until now. God isn't going to let the devil and his bunch win. He's not. Yes, they will have their time, but it's only going to be a short time. I mean, think about it. It's only going to be a short time. Everything's being prepared for that right now. But their day of reckoning is coming. <laughs> Amen? It'll be over for them. Right at the end of the tribulation, oh, glory to God, Revelation chapter 19, that's the second coming of Christ. That's his return. When he, see, in the rapture, he comes in the air to get his church. and his second coming, his return, he comes back to the earth with his church. Two separate events. Very clear. You see that in Revelation 19. And he's going to come back to the earth. And the earth is going to be in great distress and war and completely messed up from the tribulation. Amen? There's going to, the Armageddon is going to be taking a place. And then King Jesus is going to appear. He's going to intervene. He's going to, he's going to end the war. And he's going to take the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophets and their followers are all going to lose. Hallelujah. Friend, I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm glad I'm on the winning side. Ain't you? Amen? Woo! I mean, it looks dark, it looks gloom in this world right now, and it is. Worse than it's ever been. And it's not going to get better, by the way. It's not going to get better. But there's coming a day. <laughs> there's coming a day. 
when their day of reckoning will come. And King Jesus is going to rule and reign. Amen? That's right. That's right. Glory to Jesus. Over in Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, when you see all these things come to pass, talking about birth pangs to the tribulation and such, he said, lift up your eyes, lift up your head. He said, because your redemption draws what? Nigh. That's right. Nigh. So I want to ask you a question. Are you prepared? Are you ready for the rapture? If not, then if the rapture happens in your lifetime, you're going to be left behind to go through this tribulation. Amen? And if you die before then, you won't go through the tribulation, but you're still going to have to stand before Christ, right? And judgment in hell if you die without him. So you want to be ready. You say, wait a minute, preacher. You haven't answered the question to your title tonight of your message. Who is the Antichrist? I'm going to answer it right now. Are you ready? Are you ready? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. I'm not even going to try to speculate. I don't know, and neither does anybody else. But we've seen what he's going to do and what he's going to be like. And I want to tell you how to live in this day and time. All right, listen to me. We're getting ready for the invitation. I want to tell you how to live in this day and time. Don't be all caught up looking for the Antichrist. Be looking for the Christ. Huh? Don't, don't, don't get, listen, Bible prophecy is wonderful to study. And it ought, as believers, it ought not frighten us, friends. It ought to sharpen us. And it ought to equip us, and it ought to encourage us, and and prepare us. It, it it ought to do that, and and it ought to give us a sense of urgency in our heart about witnessing and about. Because man, you think about our own, just our own nation. We're not even talking about the whole world. Just our own nation. Think of how many people don't know Christ. Most of them don't. Most of them don't. And they need Jesus. You say, well, they know where the church is at. That isn't how it works. It's not how it works. You and I have got to go to them. As we're going, where we're going, where we're at. Listen, there's always lost people. There's always opportunities to witness and share our faith. Amen? Always. Always. And that's what we need to be busy doing the rest of the time we have up on this earth. So don't be looking for the Antichrist. Don't be trying to figure out who he is. Be looking for the Christ. That's what we've got to do. Amen? And remember this. The Antichrist, people say, well, I think we can know who he is. Well, well, the Antichrist is not going to be revealed until after the rapture anyway. Amen? I care less who it is. Amen? I'm not going to be here. And he'll be revealed after the rapture. Now, I want to close with this. You know, when earthquakes happen, and, man, we've had a lot of earthquakes lately just in America, but some pretty major ones all over the world, really. And when Jesus talked about signs of his coming, he said there would be earthquakes. He said there's always been earthquakes. Well, he said there would be earthquakes in various, King James calls it, diverse places, more intense, more frequent. 
there would be earthquakes everywhere. And, and I, I don't know a lot about earthquakes, but what I've studied about them is simply this, that, that there are four shocks to earthquakes. Y'all know what I mean? There are four shocks before the big one comes. There's a tremor here, there's a tremor there, there's a tremor here. And then what happens? They, you, they start getting more frequent. Y'all with me? They start getting more frequent, and, then, and, and they start getting more intense. And Jesus explained that. He used that analogy. And then he also talked about birth pangs. You ladies know something about that, about the birth pangs. They, they, they get more frequent, and they get more intense. Amen? I remember my wife, man, I, I took one look. I thought she was going to kill me. Amen? <laughs> and they were intense and they were more frequent. Well, why? That before something very significant happens. Y'all with me? With the, with the earthquake, before a major earthquake happens. With the birth pangs, before that bundle of joy comes on the scene. Amen? It's more and more frequent and more intense. So, all these signs that we're seeing in the day and time that we live, man, they, just the last few years, it's just unbelievable. They're getting more frequent and more intense, which I believe just points to the fact that the coming of Jesus could be really soon. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In just a few brief moments, we'll have our invitation, and I believe the invitation is the most important part of the whole service because the invitation is a time of decision. And most of you have been here every single service, but some of you haven't, and we're so glad that you're here. But I want to ask you a question. I want you to be judgment day honest. Friend, if you were to die in the next two minutes, or if the rapture was to happen in the next two minutes, how many of you here tonight could say, I'm going to go on the rapture or I'm going to go to heaven because I'm saved. I, I don't hope that I'm saved. I don't think that I'm saved. It's not maybe I'm saved. I'm saved. I know that I know that I'm saved. Could you say that? Just point a hand toward heaven if you can. And thank God while you got your hand up because he's the one that saved you. Amen. You can put your hands down. It's great to be saved, isn't it? And great to know that you're saved. But listen, lots of hands went up tonight. But there were some hands on, on, on each side of the building that did not go up as well. And you know who you are. And listen, friend, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not going to try to embarrass you, but I do want to try to help you tonight. You see, the purpose of this message was not just to give out information. That's not why I preach. It's not why Brother Tracy preaches purpose of this message, friends, is to present Jesus to you. He's the solution to all this. Amen? And we got the battle of the ages. Satan has been fighting Jesus for eternity. And he's going to right up till the end. But Jesus will prevail. You say, well, preacher, you talk about being saved. What does that mean? Does that mean... Uh, getting baptized as a baby and going through confirmation class later on. No, that's not even in the Bible. Neither of those things. They don't exist in the Bible. Man made that up about 300 A.D. 
That's not salvation. That doesn't save anybody. It doesn't impart salvation. Well, uh, a preacher is salvation uh, uh, just being a good person and living a good life then? Well, we ought to be good people and we ought to live good lives, but no, that's not salvation either because none of us are good enough to get to heaven on our own. None of us can behave our way into heaven. None of us can do enough good works. You say, well, wait a minute. What, what if I do all these good deeds and I help people and, and uh, give them money and buy them food? And, and isn't that good? That's good, but that won't get you to heaven. You're trying to work your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't behave your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, by grace are you saved. Grace means God's unmerited favor. By grace are you saved through faith. Faith in Christ is what that's talking about. And not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. So it comes down to placing your faith in Christ. You say, well, I, you know, I, I've always believed in Jesus. I, I witnessed to a guy last week. He told, he said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. He wouldn't say he was saved. And I understand why he wouldn't say he was saved. But he said he's a Christian. And, uh, and I said, oh, I said, how long have you been a Christian? And he said, all my life. I knew right then that was a dead giveaway. He wasn't a Christian. Nobody's been a Christian all their life. Jesus said, you must be born again. That means you need a spiritual rebirth. You need to be born of God. You need to be born from above. That happens when you realize, hey, I am a sinner, and my sin has separated me from God. I'm under God's condemnation because of it. I'm guilty, and I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And by faith, you turn to him, and you embrace him as Lord and Savior and Master of your life. That's when that happens. That's when you're born again. That's when you're saved. Not before then. I got saved in February of 1983. 1983. I knew all about God. I knew about Christ, but I didn't know Christ. I knew Bible stories, but I didn't know him. And if I had died before 1983, I would have went to hell, and rightfully so. That's what I deserve. That's still what I deserve. But because I have Christ... I have eternal life, and you can too. Would you like to receive Christ tonight, sir, ma'am? You say, well, I, 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 you can receive him tonight. In fact, you can come down here, and we're going to have this invitation in a moment. The pastor will be standing down here. You can get out of your seat on the very first verse, and you don't even have to wait for the music. You can get up and come just say, Pastor, I need Jesus, and he'll introduce you to Christ. But I want to give you that opportunity right now, right there where you're seated. You say, what do you mean? Right there in your church pew, you could get saved. I got saved sitting in a church pew. And perhaps God's speaking to your heart. You say, preacher, I got a real uncomfortable feeling. Man, I want this service to get over with. I'll be glad when you shut up and sit down. I want to tell you something. That's the Holy Ghost of God dealing with your heart. I'm not your problem. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you. That's called conviction. And that's a good thing because you can't get saved until he convicts you and deals with you. And we've been praying all day that he would convict people tonight and draw people tonight, that tugging up on your heart. I, it, listen, that's the Holy Spirit of God. You say, well, I want to be saved tonight. Well, good. Will you admit to yourself, admit to God, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost I need Christ. Secondly, would you be willing to turn from your sin 
and turn from yourself and turn to Christ, that's called repentance. That's true repentance. Thirdly, would you be willing to place your faith and trust in Jesus? You say, what do I believe? You believe he's the son of God, the savior of the world. You, you believe he died on the cross to pay for your sins. And that means he took your sins and my sins with him to the cross. God sent his son on a rescue mission to the world over 2,000 years ago in order to deliver and redeem you and I. And on that cross, he was the lamb of God. He was a sacrifice for our sins. And he, he took all our sins in his body. The innocent died for the guilty. And he died in our place. And he paid for our sins. That's how much God loves you. God loves you tonight. Christ died for you. So will you believe? Will you place your faith and trust in him tonight? Romans ten nine said, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Be willing to do that tonight. It's not just a head belief. It's a heart belief. Romans ten thirteen says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So right now, where you're seated, if you'd like to receive Christ tonight into your life, I'm going to pray a short and a simple prayer. And it's a prayer of repentance and faith is what it is. If this expresses your desire, Lord, I want to turn to you and I want to be saved, then I'd like for you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray it out loud. You can pray out loud or you can just whisper this prayer from your heart right there where you're seated. God can hear a whisper all the way from heaven. And it's not the words that save you. It's Jesus that saves you. And you're just expressing to him, this is the desire of your heart. You're calling up on the Lord like the Bible says. He's not going to come where he's not invited. Revelation 3.20 said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, If any man opens the door, I'll come in. Will you open the door of your heart tonight and invite him in and let him come in? If you're willing to believe and place your faith into him, pray this simple prayer with me right now. And just repeating words after me will not mean anything. But if you're sincere and mean it from your heart, it will. Just say something like this. Say, Lord God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm lost and I need Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. And I invite you, I ask you right now to come into my life. Save my soul, Lord. Forgive me of all my sins and change my life. Thank you for saving me tonight. Thank you for loving me. And help me to live the rest of my life for you starting tonight. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. As our heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder if there's anybody in here tonight, you prayed that prayer with me and you truly met it. Jesus said, if you confess me before others, I'll confess you before the Father. He said, if you deny me before others, I'll deny you before the Father. So if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And every person Jesus called, he called them publicly and he died publicly on a cross for you. Friend, if you prayed that prayer with me and truly met it in your heart tonight, truly met it in your heart tonight, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come. But would you just slip up your hand for a moment and put it back down? Slip it up where I could see it, please, and then put it back down, okay? 
I asked the Lord to save me tonight, preacher, and I met it. This is not a ritual. This is not something you got to repeat every time you hear it. It's something you do when you want to get saved. Anybody else tonight? I saw a couple hands. Any others tonight? I asked the Lord to save me. Okay. Maybe you didn't pray with me, and that's fine. But you say, I want to be saved, preacher, what I need to do. Here's what we need to do. In just a few brief moments, we're all going to stand. The pastor's already down here right now waiting, so you don't have to wait. And I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer tonight, if you're one of them that raised your hand, thank you for being bold about that. You did the right thing, but you also need to do You need to get up out of your seat. You need to walk this aisle tonight. You need to come down to this pastor and say, Pastor, I prayed with that evangelist, and I asked Christ to save me tonight. And he'll help you make your decision public tonight. You ought not be ashamed of your decision, and you ought not be ashamed of Christ. So you want to do that tonight, and that you want to do it. This You say, well, I've come from another church or something. That's great. We're glad you're here, and we're not trying to steal you out of, some, uh, out of another church if you already have one, but you ought to come tonight and make your decision public if you met business, and that might encourage somebody else to come. And if you didn't pray with me tonight and you want to be saved, sir, ma'am, get out of your seat, make your way down the aisle, come to the pastor and say, Pastor, I need, you. I need to be saved. That's the most important decision here tonight. And there's there's folks that need to come tonight. And then finally, here's my final appeal. Final appeal. And this is to every Christian, everyone who is saved in this building tonight. Has God stirred your heart about something? Has he stirred your heart maybe about evangelism and about witnessing to your friends and family members and neighbors and people at work and places you go? Has he stirred you about that? Why don't you come tonight? Get out of your seats. I believe every time a public invitation is given, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe the altars ought to be full with Christians. With Christians. It ought to be full every time an invitation is given, not just during a revival meeting. And we ought to come and humble ourselves and pray for the invitation because we're going to battle with the powers of darkness. There's people that need to be saved tonight. And we need, you say, I'll pray sitting in my seat. Yes, you can. But there's something about humbling yourself before God in an altar. You can use the front pews if you like, whatever. And why don't you just start coming tonight? God has stirred your heart. You say, I'm going to pray for the invitation. I'm going to pray for my friends. I'm going to pray for my neighbors. Why don't you just start coming? Husband, wives. Or maybe you want to come tonight and say, I'm saved and I love the Lord. I need to. I need to fall more in love with him. I need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I haven't been. I need to do that tonight. Why don't you come tonight and talk to the Lord about it? Father, we commit the time of invitation to you. We just ask you to do tonight what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.